our heart contains our character, our desires, our passions, uh, our hopes. And if we are keeping our money apart from our spouse, or we're not communicating adequately with our spouse, we're keeping some of those things from them. Welcome to Getting Money Right with David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in this episode of Getting Money Right, we're talking about marriage and money. And we're going to be interviewing licensed professional counselor Russell Baxter. And this is fun for me. Russell's a friend. Uh, He has taught classes with us. He has um, done one-on-one counseling with folks. And so this is a lot of fun. He's got a practice here in Grapevine, Texas, doing counseling. And Russell, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, guys. I'm really happy to be here. I am, like you said, a licensed counselor. I work a lot with couples and addictions and, and family issues. And this is a huge problem that I started noticing in my practice over the years. And I thought, well, why isn't there more content on this? So working with y'all in the financial ministry, I started to get a lot of experience and started talking to a lot of different couples. And I started to see a lot of patterns. Um, And so this has just been a big passion for me. Mm, That's great. Well, we're glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about your family. Wife, children, where where you at there? Uh, well, I'm married. We don't have any kids yet, um, but we are working on it, and <laughs> uh, we do want to have a family. Um, and we've been married for about five years now, and it has been quite the journey, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but money has been one of the biggest tools to help improve the quality of our marriage. Oh, and that's that, awesome. And that was another reason why I wanted to write about this. Yeah, I can so relate to that because for my wife and I, we've been married almost 29 years. It'll be 29 in about 12 days. And the biggest challenge we had in our marriage was finances. And once that was taken care of, once we found agreement in that, it really smoothed things out and made our marriage really, really healthy. And uh, we've been, gosh, we've been going strong. So we attribute a lot of that to just getting this financial thing down. So I'm glad it's been the same for you. So I heard that you're writing a book, Mm -hmm. so tell us about that. Tell us about uh, this book and where you're at and what it's about. What's the title, all of that? Uh, Well, the book is called Sharing Your Heart, Sharing Your Treasure, and so the basic premise behind the book is the more we learn to talk and agree on finances, the more we're going to be able to connect and communicate with our spouse. Um, And so it's not so much about being financially successful. Mm. It's more about being uh, financially connected and emotionally connected. Um, And so what I started to see is that there's a lot of writing on how to be financially successful. There's people that'll tell you how to make budgets and how to do all of these different things. But I noticed there's a big hole left by um, people like Dave Ramsey who tell you, go and make a budget and go and do these things with your spouse. He warns you that it's going to be messy, but then there's very few tools on how to have these conversations and Mm. um, how to actually connect with each other um, while talking about money. And he does, there's very little that talks about the emotions that we have with money. And so that's basically why I wanted to write it is I wanted to help give couples a language to be able to have constructive conversations about money as opposed to destructive ones that devolve into, you know, selfish arguments or, you know, name calling or uh, divorce. Yeah. Cause that's where it leads. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait until that book's finished. I'd love to read it. So Russell, what drew you to becoming a licensed counselor? 
Well, I originally wanted to work in the ministry, and I got my bachelor's degree in Bible, and I realized that I didn't necessarily feel called to be in the ministry and work in churches, but I still wanted to be able to help people. Um, and I really have always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. It initially looked like rebellion as a teenager, but I've learned to structure that into being an entrepreneur and being a leader for myself and for my family. And so I put the two and two together and I decided that I wanted to start my own private practice. I decided that in college, you know, I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, and it took me about seven years to get there, but I, you know, in the end I've been running my own practice now for three years, but I've been a counselor for seven and it's been, it's one of the best things I could have ever hoped for. I love what you said, having an entrepreneurial spirit, but it really came across like rebellion, you know, as a teenager, that's too funny. Uh, I think that sometimes you have to have that really strong willed spirit to push through and be an entrepreneur. So for the parents listening out there, uh, realize that you may have a child that is a strong willed, but that could turn into some really cool things long term career wise, because this child is going to push through the difficulties and make things happen that other people won't. So um, Russell, yeah. sharing your heart, sharing your treasure, where does that come from? Well, it comes from uh, a, a Bible verse, Matthew six twenty one, that says, uh, "Where your treasure is, your heart will be also." And this is a, a universal principle. I mean, I, I actually teach clinical continuing education classes um, with other counselors and and even secular counselors, and I, I'm able to connect the dots for them and show them, you know, anytime we put money somewhere, we put a piece of ourselves, and everybody can connect with that. And one of the illustrations that I use to really prove that point is, you know, all of us have tried to lose weight at some point in time. And it only takes us putting $25 in a pool at work for us to all of a sudden be experts, right? <laughs> and to be fired up and ready to go. And that's just a small example of that. But for that verse has such a deeper meaning in that our heart contains our character, our desires, our passions, uh, our hopes. And if we are keeping our money apart from our spouse or we're not communicating adequately with our spouse, we're keeping some of those things from them. And so I wanted to be able to help people to be able to share their heart completely with their spouse. Yeah, we talk a lot about unity here and getting money right and being in unity with your spouse. And this idea that if you're going to manage finances together, these are heart connections, that your, your finance is being connected to the heart. When you make a choice financially, it's tied to something else, values, perceptions, beliefs. And so it's so important that you have unity in those areas. And I have no idea. I mean, how do you even begin to categorize people as they come into a relationship and the way they handle money, how would you even start to sit down with them and look at their unique personalities and help them get on the same page? Mm, That's a good question. I think the personality types looks at, you got to look at one, how they were raised and and the relationship that they developed with money. Um, But the common types that I've, I've seen just in the relationships and in marriage uh, has there's been three types that have manifested the most. And the first one was I called the CPA home, which is where one person manages most or all of the finances in the home. It tends to be a, a unilateral thing. And there's two actual subcategories to that. There's a controller and a loaner CPA. And so in a CPA home, you have a controller who's somebody who likes to manage money by power or dominance or he or she wants to control out of fear and anxiety and he doesn't trust the other person to be responsible with money and so there tends to be an exclusion of the other spouse because of either fear or a need for control the loner on the other hand is somebody who does want their spouse to be involved but their spouse either refuses to or isn't interested at all and so they're left there feeling alone and trapped and trying to manage the money all on their own 
Um, and it's actually a very stressful position for them to be in. The second home that I've noticed is called a joint venture home. It's where both people are managing their own finances completely independent of each other. And the biggest problem for this is that it can create secrets, opportunities for hiding things. And like we've talked about earlier, you're keeping a part of your heart from the other person. When we keep our money separate, we're keeping a part of who we are away from our spouse. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the couples or a lot of the people will say, well, I mean, I can't trust this person to be responsible with money. And I said, okay, that's fair. And they may not be in a place to responsibly handle money. I know I was in that place when I first got married. I had no what to do with money at all. And I needed my wife to come alongside me and coach me and show me how to be responsible with money and why it's important. But if she had just said, well, you can't be trusted. We need to separate our finances. I would have never learned anything except how to keep spending money. Mm. And uh, and so what I tell a lot of couples is, you know, it's fine if it's a temporary solution to the problem and that we're going to be moving towards regaining trust, but it's not a permanent solution. When we set up our money to accommodate emotional problems, we're not really solving them. We're just avoiding them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the things that David and I will admit to is that whenever we do financial counseling, we have a we had a rule early on when we went to the training to become counselors. Part of my training was if the couples don't want to work together, it could be more damaging to them if you're working with one and the other one is not engaged because you're teaching one of them how to manage it well, but then the other one is not part of that conversation. So what ends up happening is that person begins to see, let's say, the light of day. They could see the potential of getting out of debt, having a better financial situation, a better marriage, all of that. And this other person is kind of in the dark. They're not exposed to the same conversation. So what's happening is one's being taught a certain way, the other one is not. So they literally become further, further apart from their perspectives and the views on money. And now fights begin to happen. And eventually, you could even run the risk of the person who's learning how to manage money well that can see their spouse as someone who is irresponsible mm -hmm. and all kinds of things. And now it's like, well, maybe I'm in the wrong marriage. And mm -hmm. so the last thing we wanted to do is to actually push them further apart. I, I've always said... It's better that a couple stays together and has a terrible financial situation than to be apart and be in great financial situation. Absolutely. Uh, to me, that makes no sense to divorce, even if your finances are terrible. As long as you keep your marriage alive and you're not you know, killing each other, I think it's worth saving. So, mm -hmm. uh, But it's so true. Everything you talked about as far as this desire to keep things separate, I think sometimes it is a lack of trust, is doing things the way you are taught and then having these different personalities. So please continue. I mean, I love what you're saying. Well, it and that it, you completely miss the point of marriage if you do it this way because marriage is designed to take two very different people and over a long period of time help them become more like each other and more like God. And, and so when we accommodate these problems, we're really missing out on learning opportunities and chances for accountability. And that's really another part that the joint venture home keeps us from is it keeps us from having a healthy amount of accountability with our money. We have to learn to, over time, give the other person a chance to start learning and developing trust and say, you know, I want this and here's why. And hopefully if they're willing to learn, we can move towards it. So, you know, I mean, there's going to be exceptions, obviously. There's families with addiction. Um, there's a spouse, you know, who is either really irresponsible or really impulsive or 
um, doesn't like accountability. Well, I mean, that's sometimes where a professional like myself has to step in and kind of mediate and help get to the root of the issue. So the third home that I've noticed is I call the Wild West home. And I actually had a really interesting uh, observation from a friend who's reading some earlier copies of the book. And she said, well, the first two sound like business terms, but this third one doesn't sound anything like business terms. And what I realized was that it's because it has nothing to do with business. It's just pure chaos, right? And it's where we have a home that is completely without a plan. They do not follow a budget. Uh, that most of the time they are just spending money as long as they have it. They talk about money, but they talk about what they're going to do with the money as far as consumption, and they don't really talk about plans or how they're going to make it happen. And so it really is a no-holds-bar chaotic situation, and what ends up happening, we create, you would think, oh, well, great, everybody gets what they want, everybody should be happy. What ends up happening is that we'll have one person who goes out and spends money, and the other person's worried about that, and they say, well, why did you buy that? And since there's no plan or budget or what I call in the book a standard, there's no uh, objective standard to go back to, they say, well, because I wanted to. And <laughs> there's no reason I can't. We have the money. It's in the account. Why can't I buy it? Uh, it felt good. And then th that's when the arguments devolve at that point. Um, and so it, it, is, it is pure chaos. <laughs> yeah. And it creates anxiety and stress and arguments. And it really doesn't actually help either person. Right. It's that I want to, mm -hmm. and the money's in the account, or maybe the money's not in the account, and maybe I'm putting it on the credit card because I wanted to, right. and we don't even have a set boundary of saying we're not going to go into debt, right. or, okay, we'll, we'll not go into more than $10,000 of debt, or maybe we'll not go into more than twenty. You know, at, at what point do you start to set those boundaries? And in the Wild West, there is no boundaries. Mm -hmm. So that's a scary place to be. So you have the CPA home, you've got the joint venture home, and then the Wild West home. Mm -hmm. You know, if one of the people in the family is a CPA, is it appropriate to have a CPA home? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, they tend to be. Yeah, they tend to actually take over that domineering role uh, in the home. And there is a fourth home, and that's actually the home that the rest of the book is about, which is being a team. We are looking to create an atmosphere in the home of a team. We're not looking for competition between each other. We're not looking for an adversarial relationship we're looking to create two people working towards one purpose. And so what that looks like is communication about everything, about most transactions uh, within reason. You know, I don't need to talk to my wife about buying a piece of gum, but I probably need to talk to her about most purchases over $50, right? That's the rule that we have in our home. Um, so communication is the biggest issue. And talking about what we want and having a plan to get it. And so it is basically the goal that I want to move most people towards. Now, here, here's the thing is that this isn't a one and done type of sorting. It's you can be a little bit of all four at some points, you know, yeah, yeah. and at some points, my wife and I move between being a team home. And then sometimes it, we're the Wild West and we, we, we catch ourselves and we're going, oh, this is really chaotic and I'm feeling really anxious. We need to reevaluate. Re and then we move back over to being. Uh, a team and we start reevaluating. And sometimes I've heard couples where they are a mixture of a CPA and a joint venture home where both people had two separate accounts, but one person paid the other person money uh, to manage all of the bills in the home. And it was just so chaotic, right? And and what this does is it, it opens up language <laughs> that is really toxic in relationships if we're not a team, like my money, our money, your money, your debt. And 
that that kind of keeps us from being a team. I think Natalie and I, we, we probably oscillate between CPA home and uh, the, a team home because we, we do tend to sometimes, I know I, I tend to freak out when things are tight and want to take over and control. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that stresses her out. And so, but I definitely see that. That's a, that's a really cool way that you were able to break that down. So, so why is money so complicated? Well, uh, money is complicated because it's connected to our emotions and our emotions are so messy. I mean, when we talk about, um, when, where your treasure is, your heart will be also the heart has always been in pretty much every form of literature, including the Bible. That has been the seat of our emotions and, and our feelings and who we are as people. And it's connected to so many different real world things too. our safety, our fulfillment. I mean, you were just topping on a huge example right there. I'm afraid that we're things are going to be tight right we're talking about fear right it's one of our most basic instincts uh is fear but we're also connected to a lot of positive things our possibilities our future our retirement our dignity um, there's so many emotional connections that we have to money but most people don't connect the dots to say oh yeah that's that's the relationship that i have with money most of the time they say I just don't like the way I feel, and you're making me feel that way, <laughs> and I don't like it. And and so it's really rudimentary because most people just don't have the language. I mean, we know the words, but connecting the words to our heart is a whole other thing. Yeah, this money-emotion connection, you know, where does that get built in your childhood when you're growing up? Is that nature versus nurture? Are you born a saver, born a spender? Are you born with fear? Are you born you know, with this need for a drive of self-esteem through finances, is that, is that taught? Is that born into you? Or what are at least some of the key defining moments that may happen in someone's life where that would occur? Great question. Again, man, he's nailing it on the questions. Uh, well, there's so many different variables, but obviously some of the, if I could think of the top three, would probably be one, our relationship with our parents. The way we see our parents relate and deal with money, uh, the way they communicate about money uh, relates back to us. And so when we see parents arguing about money or fighting about money, we tend to want to either, oh, that's how it's supposed to be done, or that's not how it's supposed to be done. I don't, we shouldn't talk about money. Man, money is not something you're supposed to talk about in marriage, right? If you relate more with a saver, there are certain people that are going to be genetically dispositioned to having anxiety. And no matter what house they would have been raised in, they would have had anxiety. And so they're probably going to be more uh, connected with a saver or somebody who is. Um, makes their anxiety a little less intense. Whereas somebody who's a little more chaotic, like a free-spirited person, they're not going to, they're like, well, that's not okay. That doesn't make me feel good, right? And so we learn from our emotional responses um, by the way we experience money in the real world and with our family. Um, You know, for me, I used to use money as um, self-medication. So I would spend to feel good some people call it retail therapy i kind of take offense to that because it implies that it's constructive and it's <laughs> and it's often not and and so some people can learn to have healthy relationships with money and that tends to happen as we start to experience it in a positive way and to start see how good it feels to be responsible with money but there's so little uh out there that people can read and talk about um and and if you don't mind, this is another reason why I wanted to write this book is because this is such a big shame point for so many people. And so many people are more comfortable talking about their sex lives than they are talking about their finances, you know. And 
they'd be more apt to share that with their friends than they were to say, oh yeah, we're saving in the 401k right now. And you know, we're doing about 6% and you know, things, <laughs> nobody talks about that. Yeah. Nobody talks about that. Cause it's a huge shame point and embarrassment point. And so that's a little bit of icing. Leo, Leo, you and I have created a podcast around the most intimate subject in the world. This is very, we have three men in the studio talking about one of the most intimate subjects that you can. <laughs> we've gone, we've gone beyond sex life and we're into finances. That's right. That's right. Uh, but but from the licensed professional counselor, he That's gave right. me the right to say that based on his previous statement. Yeah, well, it's true, yeah. right? It's, yeah. And because it does connect to all of those things I mentioned before, yeah, it, it is such a personal topic, and uh, and the real reason that we a lot of people will stay stuck in these money problems is because of two things, which is uh, first one's assumptions. We, t- we tend to think, well, this is how they want it to be. You know, going back to a CPA home, right? Both of those people tend to stay in that situation because one, the, maybe the CPA thinks, well, they don't mind me being in control. It makes it easy for them. Or maybe they just don't want to be involved and they don't ask, they don't talk about it and they just stay stuck. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is implications. When we start to imply things with our decisions, you know, by me not being involved, that, that implies to you that I don't care. Yeah. Or by me not asking questions or by me um, micromanaging you that tells you that I don't, that I don't trust you. Yeah. Right? And so there are these implications that wound us or hurt us. Um, and most couples don't even realize that they have that kind of power in the relationship to wound or heal each other. Yeah. Well, that's really good. I was just in a class uh, last week about mother wounds and father wounds mm-hmm. and these things that our parents can do that either create health in our life or things that our parents don't do that cause wounds and pain over time. And and the thought that every person needs a sense of security and safety. And when you talk about money, people are saying, oh, I'll use this money to create security. Mm-hmm. Another one of the needs is that we need to feel nurtured and a sense of belonging. Well, let's say you don't get that growing up. And so you go and you use money to buy a nurturing relationship or to build relationships that you feel are nurturing, mm-hmm. or maybe the development of trust. Every human needs to develop trust over time. And if you don't feel like you can develop trust naturally, well, I'll use money to buy someone's trust. If I pay them, they have to do what I say. I mean, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of unique psychological tie-ins here. Leah, we'll have to do a show at some point on going back to your childhood and how that may affect your finances moving forward and some of the personalities. But going back to your point, Russell, the person you marry is most likely to heal you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I also read a great book by um, two PhD researchers, and I can't remember, it was something Hendricks, and they talked about how you're most likely to marry the person that's going to heal your biggest wounds. Mm-hmm. And so now that takes time. You mentioned it takes great communication. It takes being able to say, hey, it looks like we're in a CPA home, or it looks like we're in a joint venture home. How do we get to a healthy, shared, trust, team effort home? And so I love that you've taken these categories and you've broken them down and say, how do we get to a team mindset? How do we get to a unity mindset? I think that's really cool with what you're doing. Well, and the real reason I did that is because it's so easy to get stuck in a routine and to stay in your little bubble. I mean, if we never talk about the things that we do in our homes to other people, then we're never going to know, is this really healthy? Is this right? Is this normal? Um, there's probably you know any number of different things that we only do at our home that maybe nobody else does <laughs> anywhere else, but we don't ever talk about it, so it's perfectly normal to us. And so I wanted to kind of put a mirror up and show, you know, not 
is this the most effective way to be financially successful? Because you can technically be financially successful in all of those different types. It's a little more difficult in some than others, but it's more about am I connecting and being the, as intimate with my spouse as I possibly can? Uh, and so I really want to emphasize that because some people are going to look, well, we sep- we keep our money separate and we're still millionaires and we man- manage everything just fine. Okay, and that's true. Some people can do that. Um, but when we're keeping things separate, there's still an emotional um, separation. So Yeah. This is fascinating to me because I can see some of the early symptoms of our marriage, uh, especially when you're talking about the different types of homes. The thing that I would love for you to go into, Russell, is how does a couple, especially if they're younger, not 20, 30 years into their marriage and having suffered through a lot of pain to finally get to a place where they can communicate effectively, how can you help them? What can you share with them to help them learn how they can heal or wound their spouse based on the behavior they have with money and how they interact that, that way. What are some of the things that you could share with them that might help them to begin to have better communication? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that they can do together so that they can move forward in a positive way in this area? Well, there were three different behaviors that I saw that were creating wounds in marriage um, for people. And so if, I'll use a personal example. For the first few years of my marriage, I didn't realize that the, my impulsivity with spending or my um, procrastination or my difficulty following a budget was actually triggering my wife to make her feel uneasy or unsafe uh, or chaotic, Mm. right? And now I can say, well, why is that my fault? Well, (laughs) it is my fault, you know, and and at some point I have to realize, okay, well, I have to take her feelings into consideration. Right. Um, And so one of the biggest obstacles that I faced was my defensiveness and my unwillingness to own some of my flaws. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that one was a big one. Impulsivity was what I was talking about there. Um, second one is no communication. When we just don't talk to the other person uh, about our finances or when we don't ask them about decisions that we're going to make. I mean, I've talked to plenty of, especially male spouses, and they say, well, I don't really want to have to run all of my decisions past her. Right. And I said, well, it's her money too. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't just do that. Uh, and so that actually wound, that can actually wound a spouse by making them feel like, my voice isn't as important, uh, especially in single income homes where one of the spouses stays home with the kids and, yeah. they, and they just make unilateral decisions because, well, they make the money and, um, you know, they should get to decide what they do with it. Right? right. And and so that's actually really it can really hurt because if you're on a team, every role in that team is important, not not just one person because he produces more. Uh, That's right. And it also says that I don't really trust your perspective if I'm not really willing to communicate or ask or talk to you about that. So um, these are all things that may be considered normal, but they can actually be really destructive. And the last thing would be not having a plan. When we don't have a plan for our money or we don't talk about our future, um, that that creates all sorts of uncertainty. Uh, One of the tools that I'd like to use for healing is have ironically enough is having a plan because not only am I saying I want to do this with you, but I'm also planning on doing this with you 25 years from now. Right. And so, man, does that make me feel safe that you're planning on being in my life for 25 years more or even longer? Mm-hmm. And and so, it's just about how the financial decisions, the choices that we make, actually do have an emotional impact on our spouse. If that makes sense. Yes. Uh, and so the other one, this is one that actually healed me. This is a healing behavior um, 
was accountability. And I mentioned it earlier, but I can't really emphasize it enough because there's so many um, couples that struggle with enabling each other in dysfunctional behavior. Where mm-hmm. they, <laughs> I mean, the perfect example would be food again, right? Yeah. Where we all said, you know what, we're going to start this nutrition plan on Monday, right? And and then by Thursday, we're going, hey, do you guys want to go get chips and salsa at this place? And, and like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. And, That's right. and we are cohorts in, in dysfunction. And uh, and so having that accountability with the, especially with the transaction ledger uh, in the budget, it really does provide um, a standard that we can come back to and say, hey, we agreed to this, and this is what actually happened. You know what happened here, and that inspires change, right? And when there's no accountability, there's not going to be any change. It is very, very difficult to change behaviors without accountability, right? Um, uh, and, and so the last one is about communicating in, about our desires. When we communicate about our desires, we are essentially, this is the root of the whole book, but it, when we communicate about our desires, we're sharing our heart with our spouse, and it makes them feel connected. I, I can tell you uh, countless times where a week will go by and my wife will come up and say, I just don't feel connected with you. You know, We've probably watched some shows together. We've maybe eaten dinner, um, but we haven't really had meaningful conversation because we've either been busy or going to work or something like that and when we have this kind of disconnection in our communication our hearts slowly drift apart i mean most of these problems in marriages don't happen overnight you know barring some major affair or infidelity or something like that um, there's not some big catastrophic event it's normally something that happens gradually over long periods of time where we drift apart and then we wake up one day and go i don't even really know who you are and and that's what we're trying to avoid here right i think the way that you've broken that down is just incredible because a lot of times it's hard to put words to it Mm -hmm. and just the language that you've given uh, even to the wounding and the healing process uh, for our listeners, you know, we're, we're closing up this episode and we're going to do another episode with Russell that digs into further on this. But think about for yourself the impulsivity that you may be acting on that's causing wounding with your spouse. Or if there's an area where you lack communication or you lack a plan, those are the three things that Russell's saying. This is where the pain comes in. The pain comes in when you're impulsive, when you have somebody who's not communicating, when there's no plan in place. But the healing comes back in when you have that plan, when you've created a place of accountability, and that's accountability one to another, but then even going out and getting a third party. How cool is that to bring somebody else in, to bring uh, that marriage into unity and say, hey, we're going to submit to you to make sure we have accountability in this area, just like a coach when you're working out. Uh, Planning for the future together fosters community, safety, fosters desire and where we're going to go, and then just communicating about those desires. Uh, Russell, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you for joining us, and we're looking forward to episode two uh, next week. And we want to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you download your podcast from so that it's easier for more people to find and benefit from our show. You can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And please, while you're there, connect with us, ask us questions, let us know how we can serve you and help you manage your finances more successfully. You can also find the show notes to this episode and more content and resources at leosabo.com. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we we can keep getting money right. right.
looking to create an atmosphere in the home of a team. We're not looking for competition between each other. We're not looking for an adversarial relationship. We're looking to create two people working towards one purpose.